Well, I'm looking forward to Psalms 23. I'll tell you, this is a, just a tremendous uh, portion of Scripture. And I tell you, over the years, it has served to bring comfort to thousands of families during their grief. It's brought us the, the promise of God's companionship during a time of great pain. And it has reminded us that even through the valley, God is still there. I, I can't help but be amazed as we come to this scripture. As God reveals himself to us as more than just the creator God, but as that companion God who desires to walk with us. And I'm thankful for the refreshment it brings us as we are reminded of the goodness of the Lord. I remember as a child, I would listen to this psalm and it would say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I thought, what in the world would anybody say that for? I always want the Lord to be my shepherd. Man, I'm, I'm, maybe I was just silly, I don't know. But over time, this psalm has become a personal favorite that grows richer with meaning and hope every passing year. Sister Barb Charles Claire shared with me something earlier. Uh, and I, do you mind coming up here so people can hear that testimony? Uh, because, I've, well, I've, have we got a mic? Uh, we don't have a mic. I'm sorry. We can give you this. You can do it from the floor. But it's corded, so you have to come up here. She, wanted to sh she shared with me something. I said, hey, why don't you share that with our church folks? It's something very special that makes Psalm 23 special to her. Well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all, and I had witnessed to my mother all of my life. And uh, <clears throat> on her deathbed when she was 70, uh, I was able to lead her to the Lord through Psalms 23rd. And, you know, that's why it's so important to memorize Scripture when you don't have a Bible in front of you. But she finally realized she was weeping, and a pastor friend of mine was there, and uh, he assured me that that's when she had her conversion. She was weeping, and... and uh, so 23rd Psalms is always my favorite. And when I talk to someone, witnessing to them, I use uh, not only John 3.16 and the plan of salvation, but I use Psalms 23 too. Amen. Amen. Thank you for sharing. What a blessing Psalm 23 has been. And many of you will say, well, I remember that was read at my mom's funeral. I remember that was read at dad's funeral, or I remember it from this certain thing. But I just, she had shared with that with me after church today, and I thought how special this truly is. Because we do gather comfort, and we gather strength from the Lord. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to uh, just unpack some truths that God has laid out for our lives from this psalm. And I hope that it brings comfort, encouragement to you, and that because of the fact that God is our shepherd. And so let us, uh, I want to ask you to do something different with me. Stand with me. Let's read Psalms 23, and I want you to read it out loud with me. And we're going to do this with each message that we bring out of Psalms 23 because I want us to work toward memorizing it. If you don't already have it memorized, this is a good way to memorize Scripture. Uh, and so to read it out loud and to just uh, in repetition. And so if you will read together uh, Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And God's people said, let's pray. Father, thank you. We praise you for this uh, wonderful psalm. All of Scripture is special, but Lord, something about Psalms 23 really touches the heart. And we just thank you for it. And so, God, as we seek you, I just pray that you would bring an encouragement uh, tonight through, to our church and through us individually, that as we get our eyes off of the world and onto you tonight, that, Lord, we might be encouraged because you are our shepherd. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we look at the psalm tonight, there's going to be two main points, uh, parts of the psalm that I'm just going to look at very briefly this evening. And we're just kind of going to go slow through this. And the very beginning of the psalm says, The Lord is my shepherd. And I want to take some time to look at the object of our faith tonight. And so let's look first and foremost at the Lord. Uh, most of us have no clear picture of uh, the God that we long to worship. We don't really know what He looks like. Uh, our image is often clouded by the memory of maybe a cold cathedral or maybe a bitter religion, or maybe it's clouded by pastors or priests who uh, just desire to put the fear of God into us. Or maybe it's because we suffered at the hands of a father who was absent or emotionally detached, a father who might have been brutal or a father who might have been weak. And all of us, I would say in this room, have inexact notions of who God really is. And when we get to heaven, it's going to be spectacular face-to-face -face with Christ my Savior, face-to-face, -face, what will it be? Man, what an incredible thought to behold Him and all the beauty of who God is. And But I'm thankful because God has placed within each of us this question, who is God? Who is He? You know, God's put that in your heart and my heart and the heart of every person, and, and that's why we see people worship today so many different things, and they're seeking something they can worship. But God didn't put this question in our hearts just so that we could be curious. He put it in there so we could find the answer. In the Word of God, God reveals Himself in an, in an incredible way. In our, but I want to remind you that sometimes our view of God is way too small, maybe cramped to match this, the reality. Uh, uh, it's just too cramped for what the, the reality of God is. So as a result of our small view of God, this is what happens we are not willing to give Him complete control and complete authority in our life. You know, the, real, the reality is, is if, if God is small, I, I, I can't trust Him. But I want to mention first and foremost, we serve a great God. And we're going to look at a lot of Scripture tonight. I, I think there's something like 68 slides, um, so uh, just hang tight. I will encourage you to grab your Bibles and use them. I know what it will be on the screen, but there's nothing like being familiar with the Word and flipping through the pages of the Scripture. And the first one I want you to go to is Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 15. First and foremost, I want to remind you that He was directly responsible for the creation of all things, both natural and supernatural. When we think about God, sometimes, we, uh, sometimes people have this view of God that He set things in motion, then stepped back. But what we see is God has been intimately involved from the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, is what Genesis 1-1 says. And He goes on to describe those next six days of creation and all that God did in those incredible, let me say, literal six days of creation. And he says in Colossians 1.15, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. 
whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And so we see here several great things, and we reflect on the person of who Jesus is, and we see that He is responsible, yes, for creation, but also for our salvation. And we have so much to be thankful for with our God today. And if we pause and reflect on just the person of Christ, we see His power, we see His achievements And suddenly, like David, we can gladly proclaim the Lord. He is my shepherd. He is the one that I serve tonight. He is the Lord. Several several years ago, several of us men uh, would go out and we would go up to Stockton Lake and do some night fishing. Brother Brian, you remember that? Brian Robinson? And boy, we'd get out on those boats on the lake. And t- I remember Gary Tolbert and some other guys were there. And I don't remember who all was there. And we'd, we'd cluster around those, one of those dead trees in the middle of the lake. And there was no lights, no sound, except a bunch of uh, weird guys. <laughs> Amen. But you would look up. I just remember the first night that we did that. I looked up and I saw the stars. It, it, here, you know, if you live in the city especially, you look up and you see a few stars. But... But when you look up in a, in a pitch black situation on the water and you look up and you see the stars, truly they are innumerable. We have no idea. Science has no idea how many stars there are. We have estimates, but we do not have any reality of the number of stars. God not only created these things, but we're reminded that He measures the universe with the span of his hand. Now just think about this. Isaiah 40 verse 12 says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. All the waters in the earth. And the Bible says he measured them in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heaven with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in balance. Listen, in Isaiah 40 he's saying, Listen how big our God is. We serve a great God, don't we, church? I'm telling you what, when we look around here, we've seen lives transformed, we've seen buildings paid for, we've seen God do amazing things, and we can't help but stop and say, wow, we serve an awesome God. Man, there's no reason for us to be discouraged, because the Lord, He is my shepherd. This planet is so small in comparison to some of the other bodies in the universe. One of the, uh, matter of fact, it's like a speck of dust in comparison Well, the largest star that's been found is the Canis Majoris, and it is 155,000 times larger than the diameter of the earth. I have no idea what that means. That is too big to even comprehend. But literally, God is able to take these things and measure them. Listen, we serve a very, very mighty God, and it's very humbling to, to consider, and it drains the ego from a man, and he helps put things into perspective. See, the creator of the universe, who created such a vast, incredible space around us, chose to call himself my shepherd. And he says, would you be my sheep? I'll tell you, that's a very humbling thing. Let's talk about it very quickly, this relationship. This relationship that's pictured here between God and man are concepts that were not conceived by David, but were conceived by God. 
Now, David was a shepherd. David was the one that penned this, but it was through the inspiration of God, and it was first conceived that God would relate to us as a shepherd with his sheep. And what a great picture this is, and we're going to look at that a little bit in just a minute. But they were, this was made possible, this relationship is made possible and practical through the work of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Without Christ, this relationship could not exist. And so if, I, if you want to know God, if you want to walk with God, you must first and foremost put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then we see that as we do that, all of these truths are confirmed by the, the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Listen, David sits down and he pins this, this psalm and he reminds us, we are a cherished object of God. This, I, this is so amazing to me that God would display such affection for me and you. I don't know about you, but I know me. I know what I've done. I know my failures. And God says, listen, beyond all those things, I love you. We look and we see here that he chooses to call us his own. I belong to him simply because he deliberately chose to create me and, uh, and then he chose to send his only son to die for me. I'm an object of his affection. Just a little bit about that, that thought there of who God is. But think about his name with me. Throughout the scripture, we see different things about who he is. And throughout the scripture, we see uh, him referred to by different names. And throughout the Bible, we find there's multiple names that are ascribed to him. And I just want to share some of these tonight because as we view the names of God, we're encouraged really by their meaning and uh, who he is and what he is. First, I want to just start with the word Adonai, which means Lord of all. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10, it says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe and understand that I am he, and before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Listen, there, he is the only God today. There's no other God. It's not Jesus and it's not, uh, it's, it's not uh, God and someone else. It is only him. And that's why he, is, he says, I am a jealous God. And, and we're not to worship other gods because he alone is worthy. The next name that we see often used is El Shaddai, which means great and glorious. Psalms 91 and verse number 1 says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Jehovah Jireh, which means our provider. God our provider. Psalms or Philippians 4.19, it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Aren't you grateful that our Lord is our provider? And we see that laid out here in Psalms 23. As he says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Or even that last phrase in verse 1 that I couldn't grasp as a child. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, I'm not going to have any needs in my life because He's caring for me. That's our Jehovah Jireh today. Jehovah Rapha, which means God our healer. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26 and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Amen. How badly we need God our healer. 
There's Jehovah Nissi, which means God our banner. In Exodus chapter 17, we read where Moses was lifting up his hands while the children of Israel fought, and he had Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands. It says in, in verse 12, and, But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. Listen, God went before them, didn't He? They didn't have to worry, was God in this or not? Because God was their banner. He was the one that they marched under and they marched with. And I tell you, story after story after story, we see where God helped the children of Israel. Jehovah Shalom, which is God our peace. Isaiah 26 and verse 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in me. That's what God offers. I'm so thankful that God offers peace in the midst of the storm, that He can walk out on the, in the edge of the ship when the storm is raging, and He can look at the, the waves and the wind and say, Peace, be still. That's the God that we serve tonight. I'm going to mess this next one up, but I did practice it. Jehovah Sid Canoe. Close, doctor? He said, yeah, I don't know. It means God our righteousness. Jeremiah 23 and verse 6, it says, In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. I'm so glad that on that day uh, when I stand before the Lord, I won't stand before him in my righteousness because my righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm going to stand before him in his righteousness. Man, what a glorious thing to know that the Lord that he talks about, the Lord is my shepherd, this one. He is the one that I come to and, and I just put my trust in and he is the one that becomes my righteousness and I get clothed with his beauty and his glory, amen? Not my own because there is nothing good in me. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he hath made him to, uh, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Can a good Baptist gay say amen there? Amen. amen. Or if you're not, that's okay too. This next one is Jehovah Shema. It means ever present. God is ever present. Aren't you thankful for that truth? The fact that we don't have to wonder, has God left us? Has He forsaken us? Matter of fact, listen to a couple of scriptures here. Ezekiel 48, 35, and it was around about 18,000 measures. And the name of the Lord of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. He is ever present. Amen. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Or Psalms 23 and verse number 4, later in this, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. What a wonderful blessing to know that God is ever present. There's Jehovah Ra, or God, our shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
Now that's who he is. And we think about who he is, and I'm so thankful for the character of God because as we know who God is, it gives us confidence to be able to say, God, I will follow you because you've promised to be my shepherd. You've promised to be present. You've promised to be my righteousness. Lord, you've promised all these great, th great things for you, uh, for me in my life. And so you are worthy to follow. Listen, when we talk about uh, to worship, it's not uh, praise and worship where you get your hands in the air like you just don't care. What, I'm, what we're dealing with is saying, God, what I, what I care about is saying, you are worthy of praise. Okay, that's what he's dealing with. And truly, our God is worthy of praise tonight. And man, we, said, we look back at 2020 and say, boy, that was a rough year. But listen, God is greater than 2020. Thank you very much. I appreciate someone saying that. And God's greater than all the things that we'll ever face. Our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. That's why we memorized that back in October. That's why it's so vital for us as a church to say, listen, I've got to remember that my God is always able. But just think about what he is with me, if you will. He's omnipotent, which means all-powerful. Job chapter 42 and verse 2, I know that thou canst do everything. This is at the end of his struggles. And he looks at God, and as God's conversing with him, he says, I know, I know, God, thou can do everything, and that, that, that no thought can be withholden from thee. He said, listen, you are all-powerful. He's omniscient, means all-knowing. And 1 John 3.20 says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Isn't that good to, to, to consider? can be scary too, not going to lie. Can't hide anything from God, can you? But he says he's also omnipresent. He's always with us. This is part of his character. This is part of who he is and what he is. And Jeremiah chapter 23 verses 23 and 24 says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Saith the Lord, do I not fill heaven and earth? Saith the Lord. Listen, he's saying, think about it for a second. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm able to do? I can be anywhere and everywhere. We see that God is eternal. I'm thankful that God is eternal. He's never ending. He didn't have a beginning date. Sometimes say, people say, well, you know, when God was created, God was not created. He has always been. Hebrews 1.12 says, And as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Or Psalms 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. He, is, he has no start date, and he definitely has no end date. Listen, he is immutable. Now, that's a, that's a fancy word that just simply means he never changes. Aren't you thankful that God's not bipolar? I mean, he could be mad at me today and, and happy with me tomorrow and the next second. I mean, God's not that way, amen? God never changes. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. He says, listen, you deserve far worse, but I have been consistent with you. I've been daily with you. I've, I've just walked with you through all of this. Or Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is immutable. He never changes. He is holy. He is also just. 
Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15 says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabited eternity, whose name is Holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Listen, there's no doubt that God is holy. He is separate from sin. He is lifted up. And Psalms 86 and 15 says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Which brings us to the fact that He is merciful. Psalms 103 verse 8, The Lord is merciful. Aren't you thankful? And think, of, think about your life just for a moment. And, and I don't have to know because, uh, because God is, uh, Christ is our mediator. But let me just say that I know my life enough to know that I'm thankful that the Lord is merciful. He says, and gracious and slow to anger. Oh, and so plenteous in mercy. We see also the loving and kindness of God in 1 John 4, 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. You see, when we know God, when we look at the beginning, and the very beginning of Psalms 23, those first two words says, the Lord. And we just know who the Lord is. It doesn't matter what he says after that. We're willing to follow him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Listen, I can put my trust in him because of the character of God, because of what he is and who he is. I know that he is worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my worship. He's worthy of, of I really just being the one in authority and control of my life. Who has control of your life? The reality is sometimes we are. We think, man, I, I, I want to be in control. I want to be the one that dictates right, wrong, whatever. I want to be the one that makes the decisions here, God, and I don't like the way this is going, so you know what? I, I, I'm just going to finagle it and make it work my way. But when we know who God is, we're not afraid to follow Him. We see, secondly, that the Lord is my shepherd. And, and I said in my notes, the good shepherd. But let me just say, if I could just re rewrite that and say, he is my shepherd. David gave us a comforting thought here. His original question was, really, who is God? The word shepherd is really a very modest metaphor, and yet one that is loaded with meaning for us today. And part, uh, part of the problem is, as we approach this text with a very Western mindset, and, you know, I, I, I'm a, I like to read Western novels, so forgive me. Shoot them up, cowboys, six guns. We like to watch riflemen, that kind of thing, you know. And so sheep never have been very good in those Western novels. And that's right. Someone says amen, all right. I mean, sheep are always the bad. I mean, the guys, they were you know, always the bad people that bring the sheep on the range and that ruins it for the cattle guys. You know, so forgive me. So I approach this from a very Western mindset. But as we look at this, I want to just take a step and say, okay, what is the original intent of what David meant as a shepherd? And so we're going to look at David, the shepherd, and then we're going to look at some other aspects of this as well. Because part of the comparison is the portrayal of a shepherd and a sheep. And the other is that David's experience in ours. So let's look first at David the shepherd. Because David was a shepherd. I mean, he spent much of his youth tending his sheep. First uh, Samuel 17, 28 says, And Eliab, his old, eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and said, Why camest thou, uh, thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? He was saying, Listen, shepherd boy. He said, What are you doing here? He says, I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down, that thou mightest see the battle. 
Listen, David was a shepherd. He cared for sheep. The desert is one of the best known places in the world to learn. There are very few distractions and there's little that can be used. In such a place, uh, we think about uh, David as the shepherd there caring for those sheep. One day, as David was watching his sheep, I can just imagine as he's there, maybe he has his harp, maybe a parchment or something of that nature. And God strikes him with the idea that God is the shepherd. And he is the sheep. He thought of the, just the incessant care that a sheep would require. Think about this. They're helpless. They're defenseless. Our neighbor has this cute little lamb. It's about this big. It's a little white lamb. Its back, back hips are fused together. It's a cripple. It's blinded. Both eyes are missing from birth. It's such a precious little lamb, and we just, we just see it, and I can't help it. I can't help but look at that and wonder, Lord, I've got to be much worse than that. But you're my shepherd, and you care for me. Maybe David recalled the constant need that they, the sheep would have for a guide. And being a blind sheep, our neighbor's sheep, they're always having to guide it back out of the, the pathway of vehicles and put it in a fence and, and different things. And maybe David thought of the time and the patience it took for them just to learn to trust him before they would follow him. Listen, a shepherd in, during that time didn't drive the sheep, they led the sheep. And so he would remember the times when he led them through danger. And he would remember the times that they would cl huddle close at his heels as he would defend them from wolves or, or, or lions or bears. He pondered the fact that he must think for his sheep, that he must fight for them, he must guard them, and he must find their pasture and even quiet pools of water so they would be willing to drink. He remembered their bruises, their scratches that he bound up. He marveled at how frequently he had to rescue them from harm. Yet not one of his sheep was aware of how well it was watched. You see, God is much like that shepherd, isn't he? We have no idea, no idea of all the great things that God does for us. And all the wonderful things that he works in the background, that his ways are higher than our ways. And sometimes we look at a situation and we complain and we gripe and we bitter, uh, bicker against God. And we say, God, why did you let this happen? And the whole while God is in heaven and he is thinking, listen, if you would just trust me, I'm your shepherd. I see things that you don't. Ancient shepherds knew their sheep by name. Man, I look at a sheep and I'm like, yep, that's, that's a sheep. They all look the same to me. They don't, they don't look any different, but a, sh a shepherd who spent time with his sleep, would sleep with their sheep, they were around their sheep. They spent day in and day out around these, these flocks and they knew them. They became part of them. And in the, in the same way, this is what we see in these ancient shepherds is they were aware of the peculiarities. They, were, uh, they knew their characteristic marks. They knew their tendencies. They even knew their own idiosyncrasies. Those that maybe would, uh, then would wander off or maybe those that would uh, uh, had a, a hard time drinking out of a, a brook that was running and so he had to find a still water for them shepherds knew what it was to lead their sheep at the morning call a shepherd would get up and 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 he would make his call to his flock and they would uh, rise and follow its master to the feeding grounds just their sheep if two shepherds were had their flocks mingled in uh, uh, overnight and they were they were sharing a pen for their sheep's the sheep would hear their shepherd's voice and they would follow their shepherd. All day long, the sheep 
followed their own shepherd. And he would search the wilderness looking for the grassy areas, the meadows. He would look for the sheltered pools where his flock could rest and find drink and peace. And at certain times of the year, it became necessary for the flock to move deeper into the wilderness, which was a, a desert wasteland. And this is where the predators looked. But the sheep were always well guarded by the good shepherd. You see, because a shepherd carries two things. There was a rod, which is a heavy club, and a lot of times it would be attached to their belts. And then they had a shepherd's staff in their hands. The staff had a crook. Uh, that was used to, to help get sheep out of perilous places or to restrain them from wandering off. You see, the club was a weapon that was used to ward off beasts, but that staff was a thing to guide that sheep. And David said in, in 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock, and I went after, out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. You see, David knew what it was to protect his sheep. And maybe as he's sitting there in that grassy meadow, or maybe as he's sitting there, he was reminded of the fact that, that God is the shepherd. God is the one that provides that protection. God is the one that walks with us. God is the one that leads us. God is the one that provides for us. That is who God is. He is our shepherd. When one sheep would stray, the shepherd would search until it was found. We see Christ talking about this in the New Testament as He late talks about the parable of the shepherd and the, and the lost sheep. And He laid it across His shoulders and He would bring it home back to where it belonged. And at the end of the day, He would then take His flock to the safety of the fold. And then He would sleep across the doorway so that no, uh, no, nothing could get in or out without Him being awakened. You see, a good shepherd never left his sheep alone. Because the reality is they'd be lost without Him. You see, just like that shepherd, God, His presence is our assurance. And this good shepherd uh, that we see here and that David envisioned as he composed each line of Psalms 23 that we're reminded of, that, that, that David says, The Lord is my shepherd. Hundreds of years after David had composed this shepherd's psalm, Jesus said this, in John chapter 10, you can look there in your Bibles in the New Testament, verses 11 through 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep, but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You know, he was, I love the fact that Jesus Christ talks about the fact that he is one with the Father. And so he too saw us as sheep having no shepherd. Or he came to seek because he came to seek and to save the lost. And he is the one who left the ninety and nine on the hills and went to look for that one that wandered off. That's the one that we serve today. Matthew chapter 18 and verses 12 through 14 says, How think you, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? And if it so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and the nine which went not astray. Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. F.B. Meyer said this, He has a shepherd's heart, 
beating with pure and generous love that counted not his own lifeblood too dear a price to pay down as our ransom. He has a shepherd's eye that takes in the whole flock and misses not even the poor sheep wandering away on the mountains cold. He has a shepherd's faithfulness which will never fail or forsake. It will never leave us comfortless nor flee when he sees the wolf coming. He has a shepherd's strength so that he is well able to deliver us from the jaw of the lion or the paw of the bear. He has a shepherd's tenderness, no lamb so tiny that he will not carry it, no saint so weak that he will not gently lead, no soul so faint that he will not give it rest. That's the one that we serve tonight. And here's the reality is this shepherd laid down his life for us. Since the beginning of time, religions have decreed that a lamb should give up his life for the shepherd. The shepherd would bring his lamb to the sanctuary. He would lean with the, on, his, uh, on the sh- lamb's head and then he would confess his sins and the lamb would be slain and his blood would flow out. A life for a life. But now the shepherd gives up his life for his lamb. Just the opposite. Isaiah 53 verses 5 and 6 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, this is the story about the death of the shepherd. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. You see, he died for all sin. The uh, obvious sins of murder, adultery, and the theft, as well as the secret sins of maybe those that are hidden in the hearts of man, selfishness and pride. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. This was sin's final cure. You see, because the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. You see, the normal way of looking at the cross is to say that man was so bad that God, and God was so mad that someone had to pay. But it was not anger that led Christ. Christ didn't go to the cross because of anger. He wasn't crucified because God was, was, was angry, but because God was love. The crucifixion is the whole point of this. The Lord is my shepherd. You see, God loves us so much that He he Himself took on our guilt. He took all of our sins and then He was willing to to heal it. You see, when when it was over, He said, it is finished, not it will be continued. There was nothing left for us to do then except just to simply enter into forgiveness and acceptance. And for those who have already entered into it, let me tell you, God calls us to continue walking in it. Let me remind you of this verse tonight. Psalms 145 and verse 8. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He is slow to anger and of great mercy. Perhaps tonight you're carrying a nameless grief. Maybe you've, you've had some sort of a, a vague, sad pain that is dwelling there. And may I, uh, may I just draw you to this place where the Lord says, I am the Lord. And He invites you to come and put your faith in Him as the shepherd. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30 says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
There's no more profound lesson than this. He is our shepherd. But let me ask you this. You know, it, it could have written, David could have said, the Lord is a, is a shepherd, but he chose to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And what a difference that makes when it goes from just being a shepherd to my shepherd. And tonight I've taken a lot of assumptions here that most of us in here are believers. But if tonight you've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're, to you he is just a shepherd. And all of those wonderful things that he provides for, for his children tonight are not part of yours. And God calls you tonight to, to say, listen, would you come into the fold? Would you come and, and know what it is to have the Lord as your shepherd? Because what a difference that syllable makes. Is he your shepherd?